No, 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 no. This is not how to be rich. This is how to be rich when you already are rich. And you say, well, I'm not rich. Well, we're going to find out today. Okay, some of you, uh, you, some of you uh, last week, you got the, 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 the 411 on where you are, where you stand, and you're going to get some more today. But uh, one of the things that, you know, I said in the beginning, Americans don't know how to be rich. Here's, here's one of the things about Americans, and, and go to the website. If you missed last week, and I, I'd encourage you to go over these lessons a couple times because you're, you're really going to need to ingrain this in your way of thinking. I know I do, and I'm very grateful. But here's one of the things about Americans. The more Americans make, the less they give. Did you know that? Particularly in Southern California. The more you make, let's just imagine this week you got a check in the mail or somebody called you, and, and it's hard to believe sometimes when people call us and tell us we won something because you're like, okay, so what's the catch? But let's just say the real deal, somebody called you or they sent you a letter and all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody died in your family and you're now wealthy. Would you give more? Now, the dollar amount might be more, but here's the thing that happens with Americans. They get too focused on the dollar amount and they don't think about the percentage of what they give. So in reality, people think they give more, but they give less. A lot less. In fact, our, our neighboring county, just south of us, Orange County, one of the wealthiest counties in the United States of America, per capita, they give less percentage-wise than any county in the United States. What's that tell you? And some of the poorest counties in our nation, guess what? Percentage-wise, they give the most. You know all those ones that we want to bash? You know those states and counties that they're overweight and they're poor and this and that? They give the most. So this, this says a lot about, and so Paul, this whole scripture that we've been looking at, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul talked about, he gave instruction to his disciple Timothy. And, and he basically, he, he tells them, you've got to help these rich people because rich people are messed up. Have you ever known somebody a little weird that's rich? quirky, weird. Rich people, they got issues. They got issues. And so here's the thing we've been talking about. Rich people have side effects. Being wealthy has side effects. The first one is rich people live in denial. Did you know that? They live in denial. How, how do we know that? Rich people live in denial because if you go up to them and you say, hey, you're rich. They say, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Look at the car you drive. Look in the house and look at what you have in your wallet. Look in your bank account. Look at, look at, look at the way you are. You say, no, I'm not. I'm not rich. And this is what happens. They did a Gallup poll. I'm giving you the answer before that. But they did a Gallup poll, and they asked Americans throughout the United States, how much do you need to make in a year to be wealthy? This is the answer. Gallup poll, across the United States, how much do you need to make a year to be considered rich? Rich equals $150,000. If you make $150,000, according to the Gallup poll, you're rich. You say, well, I don't make $150,000. Okay, but here's the deal. Ask the people that make $150,000. Go up to them and say, hey, are you rich? 
No, I'm not rich. You kidding? I'm not rich at all. They did another Gallup poll, and they asked people, now they got more specific, $35,000 a year. They asked them, asked them, how much would it take for you to be rich? People that make $35,000 for you to be rich. And this is their answer. This is what they would need to be qualified as rich. That's all they'd have to make. You give me 75 grand a year, I'm rich, said the people who made $35,000 a year. Ask the people that make $75,000 a year, are you rich? I mean, we could, go, we could go down the aisles here today and ask some of you because some of you make this. Some of you make the previous number. Combined household income. We could ask you today, are you rich? And you'd say, not me. I'm not rich. Here's the deal. Some of you young people, you're going to make this. You say, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> but will you know what to do when you make this amount? And some of you are making what the Gallup poll says qualifies as rich, but you don't think you're rich. Okay, so Money Magazine, let's take it a notch higher. Money Magazine, they did their own survey among their readers, all of their readers. They asked them, what is the amount that you would need in liquid assets, meaning you can have it to spend, liquid assets, to be rich? Okay, so this is what the readers of Money Magazine said they need in order to be rich. Five million dollars. That's what they said in Money Magazine in their survey. Now, Money Magazine, you buy, you get the subscription to Money Magazine because you got money, right? But think about all the subscribers that have a million dollars. They're millionaires, right? Are they, did they consider themselves rich? The guys that have one million? No. Two million? No. Three million? The guy that has, who, who answered the survey, who has $4.5 million. How did he fill out the survey? I'm not rich. See, they got issues. People who are rich, they got issues. They live in denial. They totally live in denial. I want to blow your mind today. Okay, because last week I gave out some information. I checked it. And there's this, there's this website... I want to direct you to it. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. Nobody's rich. Nobody in our country is rich. But everybody knows somebody who is. Okay, you ask, the, you ask the guy with $5 million, you ask somebody who has the money, and they say, no, I'm not rich, but I know somebody who's rich. The guy who has more than me is rich. Some of you in here today, you're going to find out some information about you. But if we ask you today if you're rich, you're going to say, uh-uh, not me. But I know somebody who is. Okay, so let's go to this website. Not yet, but we're going to go to this website. You know, it's cool about technology. We can go online right during the service and check something. Okay? Write this website down. I want you to go home and I want you to plug in your information and you come back and you tell me where you place in the world. This gives you live input where you stand in the world. It's called globalrichlist.com. Global Rich List, and you can put in privately, shh, nobody has to know. 
It's just you. And you can put in how much you make a year, and you can find out. Some of you can do it right here in the service. And you can find out where you stand. Okay, so Adrian, let's go, let's go online. Bring me up the page. Flip us over. And we're going to do, this is, called, this is the page here, globalrichlist.com. Okay, and you can, don't put it in yet, but look, you can put in your income, your annual income right here, or you can put in how much money you got in the bank. Okay, you can do either or. I like to put in how much you're making a year. So let's do the low ballers. All right, let's just do the low ballers. $35,000 a year. Those people can't be rich. In Southern California, are you kidding me? So let's plug it in. $35,000. And then click, click the page. Now, here it goes. It, it'll, it'll scroll up. This is you. If you make $35,000 a year, this is you in the world. Here's where you fall in the percentile of the world's wealthiest people. Not even 1%. You're below 1%. You're in the 0.81 percentile of the richest people in the world. Wow. Here's where you fall. 7 billion people, right, on the planet? Here's where you fall. If you make 35 grand, here's where you fall. You're in 48.6 millionth of the seventh of the 7 billion people. So of all the people on the planet, you're right there, number 48.6 millionth. What's that tell you? Okay, what happened? Put it back, 35,000. Okay, and then it goes, that's you. You're at the top. You're at the top. All right, and then scroll down. This is how much you make an hour. You're making $35,000 a year. You're making $18.23 an hour. That's what you make on average. Now, here's a reality check. People in Indonesia make 39 cents an hour. How does that compare what you make and what they make? Scroll down a little more. Okay, now they get the donation page. They want you to... There's something to that. Do you know how long it would take for them to earn what you make in one year in Indonesia? No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, same worker. No, in Ghana. In Ghana. It would take him or her 218 years to make what you make in one year. Reality check, people. You are rich you are rich scroll down one more time this is a cool one I like coca-cola drinkers out there if you scroll down for me will you Adrian okay how long would it take for you to earn enough money to buy coca-cola $35,000 a year it would take you less than two minutes bam by the time I finish this point you've earned enough money to make buy coca-cola how long would it take for someone in Ghana, a laborer in Ghana, to earn enough money to buy a can of Coca-Cola? It would take him seven hours. All day, pretty much. Okay? And doctors, okay, with the money you earn, you could pay the income of monthly salaries of 152 doctors in Kurdistan. 
This is real information, real-time information. It's not hyped up. You can verify it. This is a reality check. Okay, so go back to my presentation. Have some fun with this website, but listen, think about what the information it's telling you. Seven billion people, where do you stand according to what you make? You say, well, I'm going through hard times financially. You ask yourself the question, why? Okay? All right, so first, first side effect of rich people, they live in denial. Are you rich? No, not me. Not me. Okay? Reality check. And we all do it. Number two, rich people are plagued with discontentment. Plagued with discontentment. You want to know about rich people? Here's what rich people do. Rich people go into a perfectly good kitchen with countertops, a refrigerator, a stove, and an oven, all in working condition, all great, right? They go in and they rip it all out. They rip it out and they, they throw it away and they put in the same kind of counter and refrigerator and stove and oven and microwave oven as they had before. Just a little newer and nicer. That's it. That's what rich people do. We don't know anybody that does that, do we? Here's another thing that rich people do. They go to their closet full of clothes and they stand in front of a closet full of clothes from this end to this end full of clothes. Shoes on the bottom. And they walk up and they stand in front of that closet and they go, I don't have any... don't have anything to wear. Right? They're discontent. This is what rich people do. I know some rich women that have a lot of shoes. Okay, I don't want to pick on the ladies. We're all guilty. Okay, we're all guilty. But then they have a lot of shoes and they go out and buy more. And our whole economy is built on this mentality of discontentment, discontentment all, all the time. And here's the point. When you feed an appetite, what happens to the appetite? It grows. It gets bigger. This is what happens with people. They get money. They're wealthy. They feed an appetite. And what happens? Is it enough to satisfy their appetite? No, it is not. If you starve an appetite, what happens? It shrinks. It shrinks. It gets smaller. You guys are smart. Okay? Incredibly smart. So this is, this is one of the issues with, with rich people. Okay? That this is the things that they, they do. And, and, and in America, the more a person has, the more he or she wants. And there's this constant idea of upgrading, upgrading, upgrading. We'll throw stuff away just so we can make or we'll give it away. It makes us feel so good. I'm giving it away. Why? So you can make room for more new stuff. Right? Here's what rich people have. You're, you're going to be blown away by this. Rich people have a house for their cars. They have a house for their car. It's an enclosed house for their car. They have houses for their dogs. That's what rich people do. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that, isn't that wild that people don't have places to live and yet rich people have 
They have houses for their cars. And we don't know anybody like that, right? Here's my point. The more a person has, the more they want. It's a, it's a vicious cycle that never, ever ends. It never stops. And this is something about clothes. We have work clothes, work-out clothes, after-work clothes, and work-in-the-yard clothes. That's what rich people have, don't they? So here's Paul's teaching. I, it, Paul felt like, hey, it's the same as it was now as, as it was then. And he taught them. He, this is incredible teaching. He says, command those in, who are rich in this present world not to be what? Arrogant. What happens when you get rich? Now, let me ask you something. something. Because a person has money, does it make them smarter? Are they smarter? Because anytime a rich person enters the room, are they smarter than anybody else? No. But what, how do we treat them when a rich person walks in the room? How do we treat them? And we're having a conversation, and the rich person has something to say. And what do we all do? Hey, hey, shh, shh, let's hear what he has to say. Shut up, you're poor. What, what do you have to say? And we all listen. We all listen to the rich, the rich person. Why? Because we think because he has money, he's smarter. Now, you, you, you may have gotten rich because you're smart, but that doesn't necessarily make you smarter. Does being rich make you better than other people? But why do we treat people with money better than everybody else? Here's the deal, guys. When you're wealthy, it makes you arrogant. Have you ever noticed when Americans travel around the world, what's, what's the reputation that we have? And I hate to say it, but when you travel around the world, guess what they say about you? This is sobering reality. Guys, we, we walk around because we go to some places, you know, the Olympic team that went to Sochi, you know, in, in, in Russia, they were looking at the facilities and like, man, this is, this is cheap. And this is brand new stuff. I mean, they just built this stuff for them. Brand new hotels, brand new living quarters, showers, everything. And the American team went in there and they're just like, really? Is this all you got? Arrogant. See, when you have money, it makes your head swell. And, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Because what it does is it gives you a false sense of security. And that's why Paul said, don't get your head out of shape because you have money. Not only that, he said this. He said, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Do you know why, why people get arrogant when they have money? Because they, they put their hope in money. They think they're smarter and better than everybody else. Careful when you shake your head because some of you are going, yep, yep, that's what rich people do. Guess what? We're rich. We think, Americans think they're better than everybody else because we got more money. Or do we? And so this is huge. And the reason why they do that is because people put their hope in what? Wealth, which is so uncertain. 
Here's something about poor people. Poor people around the world, they don't put their hope in wealth. Do you know why that is? They don't have it, but they may have had it and they lost it and they know it's so uncertain. They're much more grounded. And here's something else about poor people. When, when they have money, they're open-handed about it. Some of you have the opportunity to travel to Mexico on these mission trips. Some to Guatemala. Remember that? Remember when, when you traveled? You went to a mission, mission, remember missionary trip? How did those people treat you when you went and visited their homes? And they rolled it out. Fed you breakfast every day, drove you wherever you needed to go, treated you like you were somebody. And you go, man, they have less than I have, but look at how they're treating me. They're open-handed. And that's, I always come away from those trips like that. I'm like, man, they have less, yet they're more grounded, they're more grateful. And they have their hope not in, in wealth, which is so uncertain. And what happens when you are rich, your hope migrates. It moves. It goes from being in God to being in what you have. And why am I telling you this? Because I don't want this to happen to you. If you're a guest here today, you can say, I don't know if I buy this. I want you to stop and think about what I'm saying. You know wealthy people, and you know where they put their confidence and their trust. And yet it can all evaporate. And this word uncertain is, is absolutely true. Hope migrates. Look at what this verse says in Proverbs 18, verse 11. This is a great, great verse. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine, they imagine, is because it seems like it's true. They imagine it. It's this illusion. They imagine it's a wall too high to scale. They imagine they're putting this fortif fortification around their life that they are untouchable. How many of you guys seen The Lord of the Rings? That's how it was in the old school. You know, we see those movies, and, and they always show the city, the, the, the impregnable city, you know, that one that was up on the mountain and it had the wall, and, you know, you just couldn't get in that city. But what eventually always happens, they, they always find a way in. This is what rich people do when they think and so they, they try to build this wall around their life. They save and save and save and save and save so they can build a wall. And you can do this even as a frugal person. Even as a frugal person, you can try to create a fake, false sense of security. It's as if there's this dollar amount. There's a dollar amount that if you reach that amount, you'll be safe. But guess what? That dollar amount, when you reach it, if you reach it, it moves. And it moves again. And it moves again. Have some conversations with rich people. So here's a question we asked last week. I'm going to ask it again. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? What's the dollar amount? And I guarantee you, this is the answer for everybody in the room. It's more than you currently have. Promise you. Promise you. It's more than what you have right now. It's a, it's a fact. When wealth becomes your hope, 
Okay, you can write this one down. This is important. When wealth becomes your hope, you feel compelled to hoard. And this is what happens to Americans. Americans want to protect themselves. They want to create this high wall of security in case something happens. And so what do they do? Instead of giving more because they're making more, because they have more, they don't give more. What do they do? They give less. Because they're trying to create a wall of security around their life. And, and then they get, all, they get all messed up about it. I want to share with you guys the very first billionaire. And he says it. He just comes out and says it. The very first billionaire in our country. Anybody know who he was? John D. Rockefeller. He was the very first billionaire in our country. Still today, he's considered one of the wealthiest persons of all time. Still today, they say, it's hearsay, but they think some of his family, his descendants, are pulling the strings in the world. One of the wealthiest families in the world right now. Now, they're not in the headlines like he was in the 1900s, but, but they're behind the scenes and they have incredible wealth. A reporter came up to him when he was in his heyday and he reached the $1 billion mark. A reporter came up to him and asked him and he said, hey, here's the question. How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And you know what his answer was? A little more. Dude, you got a billion dollars in the 1900s. Do you know how much money that is? Do you know what you can do with a billion dollars in the early 1900s? There's, there's no way you could spend that money. But it's not just enough for you. It's got to be for your children and your children's children and your great-great-grandchildren. You try to build this wall around them. This is what this guy did. He confessed it. You will confess it because once you reach a number in your life, once you reach and attain something, a, 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 a imaginable number to be secure and to be safe, retirement, call what you want, once you reach it, will it be enough? No. And that's what happens when you try to create a false sense of security. So Paul said this, teach them not to be arrogant, command them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in what? In who? In God. Amen. To put your hope in God. This is huge. And, and some of you got a feeling, well, why are we talking about money in church? You know, why do preachers always talk about money in church? There's preachers, there's ministers, there's, there's, there's uh, pastors. They're always talking about money. Do you know why that is? Because Jesus talked about it a lot. And if you read this book, the New Testament, you read what Jesus said, he talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Do you know why he talked about it so much? Do you know why we talk about it so much? And I don't want it. We're not taking up the offering. We already did that. I don't want any of your money. But I want to help you understand the effect that money has on your heart and on your life. Number one cause of divorce. Number one cause of divorce. Ask the lawyers. They do surveys all the time. They sit down. They say, what was the cause of it? Financial. That's the number one cause. Here's the reason. God's number one competitor. God's number one competitor. 
It's not Satan. Okay, let me, let me choose. Satan, God, is there any competition there? No, there's no competition. Okay, Halloween, Christmas. Which one? Halloween, Christmas. Which one? There's no competition. But bring money into the picture. Bring money. And this is what Paul's trying to say. This is what he's trying to say. Is, is, is money, money, what happens to us, if you put your hope in God, he's going to be there. And let me, let me go back. If you put your hope in, in, in God, he's going to be there in the end. But if you put your hope in wealth, what can happen? And this is, this is huge. Look at this other verse in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. And, and this is a good one to carry around, okay? You know how people carry scriptures around? Uh, I, I highly recommend it because it can give you direction. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your, your mirror. And this, is, was, this was Proverbs. It was Solomon's words, one of the wisest men that have ever lived. Look what he said. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Here's the deal. What he's saying is there's a dollar amount. There's a dollar amount that you can attain that you will not need God. And it's different for different people. Once you reach that dollar amount, you'll say, what do I need God for? Who needs the Lord? And it's different from different people. Some of you may have already reached that number. You just don't know it. What do I need God for? There's where the arrogance comes in. You know, you walk around, well, I don't know if I need to be at church on time, or I don't even know if I need to go this Sunday. I don't even know if I need to go to my small group. I, I don't even know if I need to read this. I'm going to read something else. I'm going to read Money Magazine, because I need, I need to take care of my finances. Right? It migrates. And this is a scary thing. So what's he saying? How much do you need? Just enough. Just enough. How much is that just enough? It's different for different people. But what the main thing is, God, please help me to learn and know how to be rich. That's the whole point of this series that we're doing. Help me to know. And next week, you do not want to miss next week because Paul's going to give us the secret. If you do make a lot of money, if you do have a lot of money, you don't have to say, oh, no, 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 I don't want the money. You can embrace it and say, okay, God, thank you. You blessed my life. I accept it. But now I'm going to protect myself so that this money doesn't do this to me. Okay? You can do that. And so next week, don't miss next week because you're going to get the secret on how to be wealthy and not be rich and, and know how to be rich and not let this happen to you. Here's two questions. Two questions. Which of these two questions create stress and anxiety in your life right now? Is there a God and do I have enough money? Now, I, I know some of you right now, this is the one right now. Okay? This is the one that's got you stressed out. This one doesn't stress you out. Okay? This one stresses you out. And if you're a guest here today, probably that. Now, let's change the scenario. Let's imagine, and some of you were in this place 
not too long ago. Let's imagine you're in the hospital now, hooked up to all those machines that you don't want to be hooked up to. And the prognosis is not good. Which of these two questions is more important? Then. Oh, you better believe that first one. See, because this is what happens when you know that your life can end. What, what does this question have to do with anything? Does it matter? It has no bearing on your life. This question does not matter. But then you ask, you start to ask this question, is there a God and where do I stand with him? How is my relationship, how is this going to play out? Am I going to go to heaven or, or the other place, hell, that, that the Bible talks about? What's this, how have I lived my life? This question becomes huge. This one goes away. What's the point? What's the point? It's this, if your hope in God is going to be there, if it's going to be a huge question in the end, why not put your hope in him now? If it's going to eventually go there anyway, why would you waste the time and the energy and the focus to put yourself in your hope in something that's going to be gone? Do it now. And then if you have money or don't have money, you'll be able to manage it. You'll be able to have a healthy perspective on what to do with it. And this is huge for, for all of us. And this is what Paul is trying to say to us. This is what he's trying to say. But, if, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. Now, does God want to deprive us of anything? Absolutely not. It's right there. God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to enjoy your things. Okay, and if you have the money, yes, you can rip out the, the, the kitchen and put in a brand new one, but you've got to ask yourself the question, do I really need that? And why? You know, do I really need to take a perfectly good working automotive, automobile to the dealership, leave it there, works great, leave it there, pay the dealer more money, just so I can take a perfectly good working automobile off the lot and drive that one out. But those are decisions that every person has to make. And if you have it, it's okay. But you've got to go through that process, and you've got to ask yourself, is there anybody out there that I can maybe help with this? Instead of taking from me, I can maybe help them. And so here's the point that Paul's trying to make. Put your hope in God who provides. Why would you put your hope in the provision versus the provider? Think about that. Why would we put our focus and our hope on things that are provisions versus the provider? And why hope in riches when you can hope in the one who richly provides? Man, I want to put my hope in God because he's the provider. And we've got to be honest here in the United States of America. You guys have not been around very much. You don't realize how blessed your life is. Our life is. Man, we have so much. I mean, our garbage disposal, our garbage disposal in our house, we throw enough food away in that thing. It eats up all this food. We could, fill the we could feed a family with that garbage disposal, what it eats up. And they would be glad. Just put it in there and we'll take it. 
what you throw away, people on this planet would love to have for their food. That's how blessed we are. Dude, go, go to your cabinet and open it up. Go open your refrigerator. If you've got the double door, if you've got the single door, whatever it is, open it up and look in there. Look at what you have. Some of you teens, do you know what you have in your house? I mean, think about it. You've got chips, candy, it's all, all kinds of stuff. Milk, milk is, you know, we always had a, a gallon of milk in my refrigerator when I was growing up. Always, never without. If it got this low, you've got to get milk. We wouldn't get one gallon, we'd get two gallons. We'd get two gallons in there so we'd never run out. That's how it is here in the United States of America. We are so richly provided for, guys. I can't emphasize this enough. But what are, we, what are we doing? Why would we put our hope in things when God has so richly provided for us? Okay, so we're going to say this together. This is, this is the big take-home phrase for the day. Okay, so I want you to repeat it back with me. Okay, I'm going to say it first, and then we'll say it together. Okay? I will not place my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. Okay, so now say it with me. I will not... Now, that was a little weak. I want you to say it with some attitude, okay? With some, with some, mm. I will not put my hope in riches. Really? Seriously, riches? How stupid is that? I will not put my hope in riches. Some of the women can go, oh, riches. I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. Now, let's try it again with the attitude, okay? I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. I, I want you to repeat this verse to yourself. I carry this phrase, not this verse, but this phrase. I, I, I keep this phrase in my wallet. It's in there with the money right there in the, in the wallet so I can, when I'm flipping the money out, you know, okay, I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. Do this this week. And carry this around with you because it's always going to help you because you, some of you are going to be blessed, you're going to have a whole lot and you already have a whole lot and you need to put your trust in God and not in those, those things. Alright, so let's, let's wrap it up. Let's, let's, let's do the summary. Okay, you ready? Let's do the summary. Don't be arrogant. Some of you are going to have to do an evaluation of your arrogance because you don't listen. You, you, you walk around like you got this. And things could change really fast. And I'll go ahead and be honest with some of you guys who are guests here today. You're, you're arrogant. People say, hey, can, can we study the Bible? Can we get together and help you? No, I got this. I know what your agenda is in this church. You want to convert me. Listen, we don't, we don't want to convert you. We want to change your family and your life so you'll be blessed by God. And later you're going to thank us because your eternity is going to be in a much better place. Don't be arrogant. Be humble. Rich people are arrogant. Number two, don't put your hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in wealth because it can be gone. It's okay to be wealthy. But don't put your hope in it. Okay? And then number three, put your hope in God. How do you know if somebody puts their hope in God? 
They're vested in God. They're at, they're at church on time. They're volunteering at church. They're, they're doing things. They're reading their Bible in the morning because they know this is my hope. They, they have time in their schedule to invest in God, to pray, to be with him. They have time to talk to people and be with people in their small group because they realize this is so important. This is where my hope is. He is, he is my hope. He's my priority. It's not all that other stuff. And as I said before, study the Bible. If you're here guest here today, I want to encourage you to do our Bible studies with the person that invited you to come out. It's huge. It's huge. And then the last thing is come back next week. Next week we're going to talk about the secret of how to avoid falling into the trap of being arrogant and not putting your hope in wealth. Paul's going to teach us exactly how to avoid that. Even if you reach John D. Rockefeller level wealth, you're going to know how to protect yourself and not allow it to happen. That's what we're going to talk about last week. And then, so this is the last question I want to ask you, and we're done. And then we're going to take the communion. Has your hope migrated? Has your hope migrated? Seriously. And some of you won't know this until maybe some things happen. And, and what happens is when you lose a job, your whole world comes apart. What's that tell you? Or you can't get a job when you get out of college. Or you can't get a job when you got let go. Some of you freak out. And I appreciate there's some members in our church here that they, you know, a couple years back they were unemployed and they didn't freak out. They prayed, they persevered, and bam, they got another job. But they were heroic. They were great because they didn't freak out. They didn't lose it. Their hope was in God. It was hard. It was tough. A man's self-esteem goes down to the toilet when he doesn't have work. But you can demonstrate true faith in God when you know you're solid. All right, let's look at this last verse, and then we're going to take the communion. I love this verse because this is Paul expressing his faith in Jesus. He says, For this reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, where did Paul see himself? Is there, is there arrogance in this statement? Absolutely not. And it was true. He was a murderer of Christians. The worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So I, I want this, and there's another version of the NIV that says unlimited patience, immense patience. Is God generous with his patience and his mercy? What happens when you become rich, your hands go like this. Poor people's hands are like this. God is incredibly rich, and yet his hands are wide open. And by giving us his son, he shows us immense, immense, generosity, unlimited generosity. Who do you want to be more like? God is so rich and generous with us because he's given us the thing that we need the most, not money, not provisions, not health, but the eternal thing, and that is forgiveness. Because at the end of your life, when it's all over and said and done, guess what's going to matter most? 
not how much money you made, not how high on the, on the scale of, you know, wealthiest people in America. No, it's going to matter. Where do you stand with God? And he took care of this for us. If you walk and follow Jesus. So let's pray for the communion. Father, we thank you so much this morning for the privilege that we have to serve you, to, to, to be your children. And I pray, God, that this morning you will help us to reflect on Jesus and how, how much he was willing to give to us, how generous he is and was with us. I pray, Father, that you'll please uh, bless this communion and bless our lives. I do pray, Father, that we will not put our hope in riches, but in you who richly provide for us. Thank you for providing Jesus for us. And we ask you, God, this morning that you'll bless this communion. Forgive us, God, for being arrogant. Forgive us, uh, Father, for putting our hope in the wrong places. We pray for a new start. We love you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.